From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Sanders. Last week, uh, David Mitchell shared with us a picture of Jesus, the high priest, and not a real common thing that we look at. We kind of read past it like it's no big deal, and J- David kind of walked us through some of the beauty of, of that position of Jesus, and in that, in that teaching, he, he dropped a statement that has been kind of resonating in my heart all week. We do not have a high priest who cannot. We do not have a high priest who cannot. What an incredible reminder that we have a high priest. We have one who's in charge of all of our, really the high priest was in charge of inviting people into the presence of God, going in there for them, making a way. So we have a high priest who is fully capable of handling every situation in our life and drawing us into the presence of the Father. I love that. And I want to call out one more picture that David gave, which he he used temple imagery. Some of us are more familiar than others with the temple pictures in the Old Testament, but really the picture I want to draw out is that according to 1 Corinthians 6, it's not just an image, it's a reality. We are in fact, both individually and collectively, the temple of God. So the picture that has been on my heart all week is this very, it's interesting the way worship happened because As a standing rule, I rarely talk to worship leaders about where we're going because I just think it's more fun to see the Lord do it. But the picture that the Lord gave me all week was what does it look like to walk hand in hand with the high priest, the way, almost the way a father does with a child, through the temple of our lives. In every room we would come up to, I can almost see it with, and you can see it with me, we come up to a closed door and he just just looks and, and just patiently waits for us to say, Do you want to come in here with me? And he goes into these rooms of our life. And it's in these places that he begins to restore and to rebuild and to repair our brokenness. And I love that picture of just this really chilled out, gentle walk with Jesus. It's not driven. It's just it's invited. He wants to be with us. Walking into every nook and cranny of our temple and bringing life-changing alterations to it. I'd love to take that picture this morning as we look at back into 1 Corinthians 7. If you're new with us and this is your first time here at Vintage, um, our standard issue rule is we just systematically work through the scriptures verse by verse. We've been working through the book of 1 Corinthians for a while now. We spent about six years in the book of Luke. So um, Luke's longer than Corinthians, so do the math. We'll be here probably three years, I don't know. Um, we just think that all scriptures God breathed, all scriptures capable, and I love watching what the Holy Spirit does with this journey. He just seems to meet us right where we're at, and I don't know how he does it, but he does, and it's phenomenal. But I want us to take this picture of Jesus just walking with us through the temple of our lives, because as we look through 1 Corinthians 7, there are some very, very serious things that come up, and it would be normal for us to kind of want to put our arms out and go, whoa, 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 whoa. But if we could just remember that, that the scriptures are there to coach us, to guide us, and so we can just kind of keep our hand in his hand and say, okay, even though this is tough stuff, I trust you to come into these places in my life and bring health. Amen? Does that make sense? You good? You sure? 
Y'all need more coffee or did he just chill you out so much you can't talk? We're going to talk about a question that's important. It says, how do we handle marriage relationships where only one spouse is saved? And if you're looking at your watches going, it's 12.15. Trust me, I only have about 10 minutes for us. You're stoked. You're good. You'll still be out in time. You can listen attentively and know that I will take your time as a serious thing and honor it. How do we handle marriage relationships where only one spouse is saved? So the first thing we need to do if we're going to look at this as Paul speaks into marriages a little bit is we need to identify that there is a way that God wants marriage to work. And throughout the scriptures, God will call his people when they consider marriage, they consider relationships. And I would love to tell you, even if you're young and you're dating, you're considering marriage. You just don't know it yet. No, I'm not. But then why are you dating? See how I did that right there? <laughs> but there's a way that God wants it to work. And all through scripture, he will call his people to to be like-minded and to, to choose to invest their life into someone else who is equal yoke is what the word it means. And it means that they have a, they, they, ident, ideally we connect with people whose hearts have been transformed by the grace of God. And so two believers come together and they get married. But Paul says we understanding there are situations where that doesn't happen. And what are the scenarios that play that out? Well, maybe a person was in a little bit of rebellion and said, I don't care. I love them. I want what I want. I want what I want. God, I don't care. And they marry him anyway. Or maybe two people unsaved get married and one of them has a revelation encounter with Jesus and they come into the kingdom. And so now we have this unequal cohabitation. And so Paul wants to address these issues and talk to them. If I was going to ask the question, who is this relevant to? My simple answer is all of us. While we, some of us might be married and there's two believers, we're like, this doesn't matter to me. I'm just going to hit the snooze button. Don't, please. Because God would never say something to a believer and an unbeliever that wasn't more true to two believers. And if you're here and you're not married and you're like, I, I want to be married, I aspire towards marriage, then by all means, we need to understand the culture of heaven that the Lord is calling us to live out. If we would be wise, we would do well to understand exactly what this marriage thing is before we sign our name on that little piece of paper that says Larimer County. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 12, Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer, and she's willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. There's a phrase that is very key in this, and the phrase is willing to continue. The root word means to think well of. And it deals with a really, really simple idea that you're going to hate me for. Are you easy to live with? That's what Paul's talking about. Are you easy to live with? Now Paul's talking to the believer, saying, you are to live in a way that makes you easy to live with. And I would push pause and say, Paul would never call a believer to live that way towards an unbeliever and then turn around and say, but two believers, you can be bad to each other, it's okay. So all of us now pull back away and realize that there's an easy idea to extrapolate from this text. We are called in marriages to make sure that we're easy to live with.
just going to let that one sit. Paul specifically believing, talking to believers, saying, you got to be that kind of spouse. But then he says to them another thing that's even more difficult. To the believer that's married to an unbeliever, be committed. You must not leave. And so he moves out of just relational mechanics and he moves into character mechanics. To the believing spouse, you're to be committed to this marriage. And the teaching seems very clearly to put the responsibility on the believer to live in a way that's easy to live with and to be committed to the endurance of the relationship. Time out. If that's the call of God to a person who's in a believing, unbelieving marriage, isn't that equally the call of God on two believers? Aren't two believers also called to say, you are to live individually uniquely in a way that makes you easy to live with, and you are to individually uniquely be incredibly committed to the marriage? If I could put it a different way, I'd say it this way. We don't ever get a pass to quit on our marriages, period. In the kingdom, there is no pass to quit. I had a question come. What about a situation where there's abuse going on? Honest physical abuse. The question's been asked throughout this series, so I'll address it real quickly. Here's what I always counsel. Separation is not divorce. Separation sometimes is a really smart idea to push pause, to hit time out so we can work on getting healthy. We work on getting healthy. We go through the difficulties of that. We help lead people towards health. But separation cannot be the beginning process of saying, I'm out. The attitude we are called to have as married people is to say, I will not quit on my marriage because it's unto him. It's not just about them. I understand the strength of this. My wife and I have been married 24 years. You would all be fooling yourselves if you didn't believe we both wanted to quit a few times. Have you ever talked to somebody that's like, wow, you've been married a long time? Yeah, just stubborn. Can I tell you that that's the greatest thing in the world to say? I'm too stubborn before my God to violate his covenant. What's that look like? If you, look at, if you can say to your spouse, I may not always like you, but I will never leave you. We may not always get along, but I'm committed to you. My foot has been nailed to the floor. I'm not leaving. Because that's what Paul's talking about. And I would love to submit an idea to us that I think is incredibly important that we consider we have a world that understands we're saved and they look at us and they expect us to know something they don't know and they're hoping this Jesus stuff works because at the depth of their heart, whether they want to believe it or not, there's an eye on us and they're looking to say, is that an answer that I don't have? And when we fail to stay in this covenant, when we fail to stay this committed, what it causes for them is a sense of, yep, it's a fake, I didn't think it worked. There's a lot more at stake than we want to give credit to. So why? Why don't the believers get, a chance, get the opportunity to quit? Why don't they get a pass? It's just, Paul lays it out really simple. Because our hearts have been redeemed and transformed by the love and the grace of Jesus. Therefore, that transformation should cause us to be able to provide an environment of love and grace for that other person to live with. 
And then Paul goes on and, and, he, and he, he pushes the point and says, I want to show you what's at stake. He says, for the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other. For God has called you to live in peace. For don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? Paul uses a phrase here, brings holiness. The term is made holy. The idea of this word is set apart or consecrated. It means to be selected and separated. I've used this analogy before. Anybody who played marbles on the playground pre-cell phone era, right? That's what we did. We used our brains. We sorted marbles and we shot them at each other. (laughs) Now you hit the phone all the time. Sorry, it's a pet peeve. But you know, the idea is when you're sorting marbles, some of them had like the cool cat's eyes and then there was, my dad was a mechanic, so he'd always bring home these steel ball bearings and they were steelies and they would break marbles, so I liked them. And I could flick them at other people's marbles and blow them up and then they made a rule, no steelies. I'm like, the cheaters. But the idea was if I'm sorting through my marble bag and I separate it out, steelies on one side, cat's eyes on the other. That's the idea of this word, to be separated. And what it means for us is that Jesus, in these relationships where there's a believer and an unbeliever, Jesus is doing a work on that unbeliever. In fact, they have been pre-marked by grace. And so the believing spouse now has a job, which is to live in a way that makes it very easy for Jesus to draw that person's heart into the kingdom. You see, and all too often, we forget what's at stake, and so we just allow ourselves to be idiots. We don't govern our behavior for this purpose. And we get in the way of the process of God in these people's lives. I would love to step back a little less invasive and say, I think we do that in our marriages where there's two believers. We forget that our job is to partner with him so that he can do what he wants to do in their life. And so I'm here to serve him as I love them. And then he adds one more element. He says it's spiritual covering for the kids. When there's kids involved in these relationships where there's a, a married spouse, I mean, a, a believing spouse and an unbelieving spouse, the kids involved. It's a strange word that he uses because the word he uses means that there's a spiritual cleanness on the children as the believer stays in the relationship. And Paul teaches that this work is part of the covenant of Jesus to us. Can we just time out? How crazy is that, that the grace of God is so far-reaching that he'll say, look, I'm just going to plant one redeemed person in a household right now, and I'm going to go ahead and cover the entire house, because while they're there loving me, I'm going to work and draw and bring them into the kingdom. And so by this we understand, our proximity has value. We've been placed in these relationships because he has marked them for his kingdom, for his glory. And so our job is to stay put and stay out of the way. How do I stay out of the way? Do your job. Love them. Create a culture of grace. Create a culture of mercy. Because your presence in these lives matters very, very much in the kingdom. I would call us to live 
how about we just decide, whether it's a believing spouse or an unbelieving spouse, how about we just say, how about in all relationships, I'm going to live in a way where my aim is to see the transformational grace of God in that person's life. So I'm going to do everything I can to make that easy. When we do that, our life becomes intercession because we're partnering with the mandate of heaven on earth. And then Paul adds this last caveat, but in the event that your kindness and your love and this culture of grace and affirmation and transformation that you've created, if it's so unnerving to them and they hate it so much that they want to leave, go ahead and let them go. This is the only caveat for the breaking of that relationship. I would just love to ask a question. In the history of mankind, how often do we think it happens that someone says, look, you are so good to me, you're so gracious to me, you're so kind to me, this is such an incredible marriage to live in, I've got to get out of here. It's just not even a normal idea. This is why Paul lays it down this way. What Paul's really saying is how we choose to live in our marriages has eternal value into other people's lives. Not just in our house, but also in the world that's watching. For a few weeks, we've been talking about this reality. Church marriages matter. They are a supernatural scrubbing agent against immorality. That's what Paul teaches in verse 1. So if you're in this room and you've been considering divorce, can I just say something very pastoral? Knock it off. Because it's a violation of what your father called you to. I can't make it. Yes, you can. You might not want to, but you can. You don't understand. You you think our marriage isn't tough sometimes? I could invite these two young gentlemen to stand up here and just nod approval once in a while. (laughs) But see, it's in these moments that we find strength to draw from Jesus. Because every moment that I want to aim my anger and my resentment towards my wife and I want to disconnect. Those are the moments that if I'm wise, I'll go get on my face and say, Lord, I can't do this. I need your strength. Because David, King David, does this thing that we must learn how to do. He strengthened himself in the Lord. When I'm at my end, I go to him and I find a new resource. We don't get a pass to quit. We're called to stand tall and raise a standard in our city so the people that are lost understand there is hope let's stand this morning if you're here and your marriages have been struggling hold hands while I pray If you're here and your marriages have been awesome, hold hands while I pray. See, everybody wins. (laughs) Father, we stand before you and we're humbled by the strength of your your scriptures. And Lord, we understand that, that in our day and in our time, this has been really mishandled by the church. We haven't done this well at all. But we, we sang it earlier, we trust in our God and through your unfailing love, we will not be shaken. So that is our declaration and our commitment to you. We will stand strong in you and we'll depend on your strength and we will be good to each other. Be with us as we do this. Holy Spirit, we give you free license to call us out on our stupidity. We love you and we honor you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at vintagecitychurch.com.